Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. This week's episode was originally published on The Clarity Call, a podcast that provides guidance and encouragement to parents of children with special needs. We're so excited to share this emotional and inspiring conversation with you. Before we do, I just wanted to take a quick moment to remind you to visit Dr. Finlayson Fife's website to find information about her amazing courses and information about her upcoming events. I personally was able to attend her Art of Desire workshop in the pre-COVID days, and it was truly transformative. I expected to gain a better understanding and acceptance of my God-given sexuality, and I did, but I also gained so much more. The Art of Desire helped me untangle false beliefs and messaging about what it means to be a good woman, and it has allowed me to discover and cultivate my highest desires in every area of my life. It was time and money so well spent. We hope you have a great week and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. We're so grateful you're here today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So um, just to kind of tell you why um, Jennifer Finlayson Fife, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife is one of my greatest mentors. Um, I started following her after hearing her on a podcast that a friend shared with me. She teaches, one of the many concepts she teaches rather, is of belonging to yourself which is something I had never really heard or considered for myself. And it was the exact thing that I was trying to better understand as I was trying to figure out who I was and what was meaningful to me on my climb back from losing my identity and being a mother to special needs children. So Jennifer, you talked about how developing a sense of self is vital, not only for personal growth and development, but for healthy relationships. So when I stopped caring for myself and put all of my energy into caring for children, thinking that that was the most selfless and necessary thing, I lost my sense of self, which was actually never very developed and didn't have a strong foundation in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I started making choices that were very detrimental, not only to myself, but to my relationships, specifically to my family, of course. So if you can kind of speak to that, as I know our our audience uh, struggles with that a lot. Yeah, well, and I think... There's so much to say. It's interesting. I find myself feeling a little emotional as you're speaking because I think it's it's bringing me back to some of those earlier years when right. it was so challenging. I mean, I think that, um, first of all, motherhood is a very demanding reality just when everything's going as well as you might hope mm-hmm. <laughs> because it pressures the selflessness and on some level, necessarily so. Right. So that is when you have a baby that's fully dependent on you, it's a adaptive and good response to put your desires aside while you care for this highly dependent, highly needy being. And I think women are kind of wired to do this, to be quite conscientious and responsive because it keeps babies alive. So mm-hmm. it's both our strength but of course it can clearly become our liability if it's an overworked muscle. And I think that there's a lot of cultural influences that make this idea that selfless 
putting everything about you aside is the key to being a good mother or mm-hmm. being a good woman. So there's that. And then I think when you have a special needs child, that muscle is so overworked right. because the needs are above and beyond the normal level of demand, not by anyone's fault, but just what it is. And so, especially if you have that cultural impact plus the special needs child, it can really feel that you have no self. There's no place to thrive. There's no place for belonging to yourself. And even if you have never heard that idea, meaning some people don't think that that's something selfish and bad in them, but they even want it when that's so much linked to having joy and even having energy for your family, right. for your special needs child. And so it's a very, um, it's, and, and then I would say it's very challenging and it's even challenging a little bit for me to even know how to speak about it in a way that's fair to people because sometimes people don't have much choice. That is, they don't have a partner or a partner who's collaborative and willing to help. They don't have resources to get an extra set of hands to be able to have a break. They have more than one special needs child. They may have multiple, which it sounds like the two of you mm-hmm. know a lot about. And so it's a, I have no simple answers, <laughs> but right. to say that it is, is challenging and even understanding and valuing that belonging to your life outside of a caretaking role is important for being able to have some joy and some peace, even in the caretaking, having joy and peace. So where would you say, um, you begin with that? Because when you find yourself in that place, as we both have, and you have, like you said, I mean, with multiple children or whatever the, the circumstance, where do you begin? You said, you know, there's no simple answer, but if we're, if we have listeners there that are where we were on a professional mm-hmm. level, where would you say, Hey, this is where you start? Because I just uh, went speaking with one yeah. of my children last night saying that, like, if you're not good for yourself, you can't help your children. You can't, if you're yeah. not mentally okay. So really what is the answer to beginning that road for them to get help, get safety, get security? I think that there are two things maybe that feel important, but I, I, and I can reference my own experience, but again, I say it humbly because I, I think in many ways I was fortunate in a way that others are not, but you know, the first thing for me was I am in over my head. Like I, this isn't sustainable. I can't do it. (laughs) And that wasn't coming from a poor me victim mentality, which I'll talk about in a minute. That was coming from a, this is more than I can do. Like Mm -hmm. I can't give my child what he needs. I can't give myself what I need. And I'm barely hanging on to my mental health. And I just knew I was beyond what I could do in any sane way. And so you know, for me, it meant how do I, how with a limited budget and a limited reality, can I figure out some way to get some extra support? And so, you know, it's kind of a funny conversation. I mean, for me, when I think back, but remember my husband was traveling all the time. So I would have like the whole week where I had a newborn baby and a child with autism who was, you know, figuratively and literally banging his head against the wall. And I just, felt like I couldn't give him what he needed and I could, be, I couldn't get a shower. I couldn't get to the grocery store because he would melt down the whole time. And I'd have two screaming kids and people looking at me. And I was like, I, like, I'm going to die. I can't do it. So, um, so I remember talking to my husband about it and saying like, 
I either need antidepressants or I need help. Meaning I, like there's no, there's nothing right. got to give. Yeah. And he was like, well, antidepressants are cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> true. It's so true. Sometimes they're necessary for sure. Yeah. We're not discounting yeah. oh, absolutely. that. Oh, not even slightly. Right. But you know, we basically with some family help, were able to get some extra help while my husband was traveling in particular. And, and it was not easy. And it, you know, it was hiring a student that would come and do some therapy, you know, with my son, you know, they were undergrads, didn't have to pay them as much. It's just some things like that, that I just set up some pockets of time that I could not have that be my intense focus. Mm -hmm. And those were a gift in the context of this sort of sense of it always, always being on me. Um, You know, and we figured out some other things as we went along that allowed for, you know, him to get support services that he needed going and advocating for more of those, both for his sake, but also for the sake of the family system to not have that always be weighing on me and, or even, you know, his siblings. So, um, so there's that there. And again, they're not every I, I would sometimes hear people's stories. They had like three children with autism and the husband had left and I would cry listening to the stories because I would just think, how can that person do it? I don't even know how she can do it. Right. So I, it's hard when you, the resources are not there. Um, but um, I think the second thing for me was that I had to deal with my relationship to the problem, to the challenge. And that was a process. And, and, Again, one that I do not want to sound like simple-minded about because some have more to grieve than others. And it's also a real challenge because I remember, you know, you know, Graham getting diagnosed and I, first of all, had real feelings of loss because he had seemed developmentally normal as far as I could tell. And then he seemed to take a big step backwards and go lose language and start to regress. And, and so I was terrified and grieving. Um, and then I had feelings of rejection towards him that I couldn't tolerate in myself because he sort of was emblematic of a cost in my life. I mean, I'm not proud of those feelings per se, but they were certainly normal, (laughs) Uh, or at least where I was, Uh that this child is, going to be challenging that I may give it everything and still not have much effect or impact on him. Um, that I, I envied the mothers who were more concerned about the things I used to be concerned with, like which preschool, the cute clothes. I mean, I don't mean to minimize it, but I liked having those kinds of concerns and they were fun. And I felt like they, I couldn't have, those were like no longer the issue. It was, it was, do I even, is there even a way to help him? Because there really wasn't much that was being offered, at least at that point, in terms of therapies or services that could really be valuable. So I think I had that grief, that loss, and a sense of, I think this feeling of kind of vacillating between um, victimhood and over-functioning, a little bit of going between those two worlds a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I won't be a victim, but maybe then I'll be everything and I'll do everything and I should do everything right and solve this, which I think it took me a couple of years to grow out of that. Oh, yeah. that <laughs> and be like, I, I'm not going to solve this. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but to not also then retreat from him either. I think that it took me several years to kind of find the way to love him and accept him and parent him and accept my limitations and his at the same time. Which, you know, I can talk about more if it's helpful, but that, that was definitely a process. Yeah. And it me. is. Yeah. And, and like everything that you're saying resonates, you know, with me so much and even having other moms have, that have been on the podcast, it just, there is that common theme of how do you not become a victim and fall into depression, but okay, I'm not going to be that person, but then I'm going to make sure that I'm the best at everything. And then there's mm -hmm. burnout and then there's loss of identity, you know? And so mm -hmm. that's something that I found mm -hmm. I fell into and I want to see kind of if we, if you had any counsel for these moms that, like you said, have mm. three of these special needs kids and are going a hundred miles an hour. And, you know, mm. for me, I feel like when I finally mm -hmm. found my value and worth, I, that was when I, my brain finally went to work at being like, how are you going to show up for yourself? How are you going mm -hmm. to get the resources that you need? We talk so much on our podcast about having a village. It doesn't have to be family, but you do have to get creative mm -hmm. sometimes about yeah. finding those people that can be your village and give you those necessary breaks so that you have the self-care and ability to grow Absolutely. and thrive and progress instead of like me following falling into that place where I lived so much on autopilot that I ended up even completely subconsciously sabotaging myself and my family with choices I was making. You know, it's just, yeah. I heard you say that you can do that if you're not honoring the need for a human yeah. to grow and develop. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many things in what you're saying, but, but one, yes, getting creative and resourceful. Um, you know, we worked it out with our congregation that my son would have his own um, teacher for it because kids would have class, but he couldn't handle being in that group. So they arranged for him to have his own teacher. And all she would do was literally chase him around mm -hmm. for the two hours. Right. <laughs> that was, that was my was calling like my for a long time. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it was my favorite time of the week. Like I just loved being at church because it was a chance to belong to myself, have adult conversations, talk about interesting topics, just talk about nothing. I didn't care. So it was just like finding where there are these places that I could carve out some breaks for myself. So that's a piece of it. But I think, I think there's maybe a couple things um, in what you're saying, maybe more sort of think as I'm talking, but one thing that really, really helped me um, and I didn't come to this right away. It took me a, a little bit of time, but I had to keep asserting my choices within the experience of a crisis. So in a way, I felt like my choices were taken from me. Yes. You know, I had a special needs child going home for Christmas no longer was making sense. He couldn't handle it. He'd get too overwhelmed. So I could move into like, oh my gosh, like I can't do all the things that everybody else gets to do. And people are nice to me, but they don't understand how different my reality is. Right. And so it would be easy to move into that grief. And I don't dismiss it. It's real. <laughs> right. It's real. And giving yourself some room to have it and to have compassion for your grief, I think is really important. And, you know, sometimes I cry at IEP meetings and stuff and I just wouldn't be too hard on myself about that. I'm like, I'm the one here dealing with this. nobody else. <laughs> I mean, like they were there to help me, but right. I was like, it's okay if I'm crying. There's not, I don't, it's, it's okay. It's not easy. 
So I think it was making room for the grief without moving into an indulgent place and pushing myself to assert my choices. Like as hard as this is, I, I would also say to myself, other people have it harder. And that wasn't to dismiss my pain. It was to remember that I also have a lot of good things. And, and that helped for me to just say, I'm in a hard spot. There's nothing wrong with the fact that I feel sad about it. But it's so funny. I'm like refeeling all the feelings. <laughs> it is. It's emotional. Uh, but, but, yeah, it is. Um, but that um, I just know people carry more. And so I can be grateful for the gifts that I have in this struggle that I'm not entitled to. Meaning it helped me to sort of, because sometimes people would say, well, maybe God wanted you to have this struggle. And that just didn't ever resonate with me. I just like, first of all, it just doesn't make sense that God would impair my child so I could learn something. Right. You know, it, it just, no, it's just a function of, of an imperfect world that we all live in. And, and this is what I have to deal with. And the measure is about who I'm going to be in this. That's what I have to take up with myself. How am I going to respond to this reality, which is going to include grief and it's going to include loss, but it also is about an opportunity for me to define who I'm going to be in a difficult reality. And that's where the self-definitional part comes in because this belonging to yourself is, is in part about having breaks. It's about developing other parts of yourself. But what it also is, is living up to your own expectations of yourself in a hard situation. Yeah. Well, and that's what we spoke and, with Brad Wilcox about last week when we talked about finding your mission in life and yeah, allowing those things to help us define our purpose and our mission rather than having self-pity and being a victim. And it really takes that yeah. mind flip mm -hmm. to have that moment. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That you're an agent you're the driver, you're an actor, and you don't get to choose what road you're on or the, you know, the obstacles on that course. But you do get to decide who am I going to be. And, you know, I think initially, I moved into I'm going to be the best parent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I'm going to do all the therapies, and I'm yeah. going to research, and I'm going to figure things out. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's a good response. Because like, if I can do something to impact this, I will. But I think what it sort of demonstrated quickly was there was only so much I could do and there was no one to want, you know, I could be giving my very best and still have a child who was melting down 90% of the day. And, um, and so I, it took me some time, but it was like letting go, well, tolerating my limited control while stay, still staying in control of that control. <laughs> Yeah, meaning still utilizing the control I had to be a mother and a person I could respect uh, without the fantasy that I was somehow going to be the solution. All right, just accepting it for what it is is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. There has to be room for that, and and I love that you speak to accepting the human experience as it is that we're all yes. so flawed. And that when we can yes. accept the flaws of being human, yes. we have such an easier time at finding that compassion that allows us to show right. up for ourselves and those around us in love, which kind of right. brings me to my next thing that I would love to hear you speak to is that um, the uh, doing the uncomfortable work on oneself rather than taking frustration out on children or others 
which is a concept that mm-hmm. I heard you speak to in the podcast mm-hmm. that you've done on the teachings of Dr. David Snart. Snarch, mm-hmm. am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, specifically the portion on how to better manage anxiety within your relationship mm-hmm. and family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that for me, you know, what I see a lot of parents do, and I certainly can do, is when you're feeling pressured by the demand, all the ways that they want you to respond to them, your kids do, or a special needs child who has legitimate but overwhelming needs. It can be very easy to handle that from, I am a victim of you guys. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the antidote to that is always about asserting my choices, and not letting myself get away with, you guys did it to me. That, that I have chosen a role and I continue to have choices in it. So I just remind myself of my control and my responsibility in a difficult situation. So sometimes, especially in the beginning, I would go through, I don't have to be here. I could take a job and turn this over to a nanny or a caregiver. And, you know, I would just go through it like I could. I could do that. You know, lots of people make those kinds of choices. And would come back to, I don't want to turn this over to someone else. That helped me a lot. That is really what I want. As hard as it is, and for sure it was the hardest thing I've ever done. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Like, you know, I work a lot of hours now. It's a breeze compared to that intense period. And so it's, you know, and it, but it did really help to keep coming back to a self-defining choice. I want to be here. The next question for me is, okay, how do I want to be here? In what way do I want to do this that I can feel good about? Where do I need to push myself more? Where do I need to give myself more latitude? I mean, one of the places I would sort of beat myself up was I felt like I should be the kind of parent who wants to do play therapy all day long. <laughs> I really, I really was so ridiculous. We all think about that. that at first, don't we? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if I was like a really good mother, I would be doing this 11 hours a day and mm-hmm. he'd be fine. And it was like, no, I can barely get an hour in and, and not feel bored, silly. And, and so it just finally was like, okay, I'm not, Coming to peace with, I'm not that parent. I'm not that person. What are the things I do do well? And is there people that we can, this is when we hired students to come in and do a lot more, who were studying special education, who were good at it, who were wired and, you know, and it was so much better because Graham would get all this extra energy and engagement and capacity. So it was in a way letting myself have limitations too, not just him, let me have limitations and think about how do I do this in a sustainable way? you know, that I'm being true enough to me and also being, giving, helping him get what he needs. But it's not an easy, it's not an easy balance because it's easy to think, oh, if I were just something, everything else would be fine. It's an easy place to go, but it really will undermine us. And then I think for me, it took some time because the kid, at first it was just too intense and there was too much that there really wasn't a lot of room for what are my dreams and goals. And there was no money either. Um, but at that time, I would say to myself, in time, there will be more time for those things. Right now, this is what I choose, as hard as it is. But it will eventually, there will be more space. That helped. And when there was more space, 
it was for me taking up that and not just staying in that kind of ever-present parent, but saying there is more room now for me to, because Graham was now in a good uh, therapeutic day school. There was, my younger kids were getting a little bit older and there started to be more space. And I could tell I was starting to feel not great. And I think what it was is I wasn't going and now using some of that to engage other gifts and other capacities and start developing those more. Yeah. And and then just out of curiosity, did you find that you talk about like maybe waiting, knowing that things are going to change and be different. Did you find that that was hard for you to stay happy and present in the moment or that being able to grab onto that thought helped you be more happy and present in that moment? Because I think that's a choice we for, have to for, actively yeah, decide. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, for me, that I think that helped me to be more present in the moment. Okay. I don't know if I would say I was always happy because it was pretty intense sometimes. Of I mean, course, But right? I, I, it, I wasn't in a resentful, I, I, I think it's fair to say that I wasn't in a someday I'll be happy. Right. It was more that those things that matter to me, they matter. But they're, they're just not for right now. Mm-hmm. There's no room for them. Yes. And so it just kind of allowed me to know they will have their place right now. I'm investing just like in school. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm investing. I'm not going to have any extra money for because I'm in school. But, and it's a time where you're going to create something and then it'll be better. And I think I thought of that intensive period that way. Right. I just want our audience to know that that's a choice that can be made. You know, you can choose to say, I don't have to wait for things to be different for me to feel, for me to be happy and feel better. I can know that things are going to change and choose to be present in my world. Even when that means you have to process the negative emotion, you know, the good with the bad, all of that. You know, I just found that I, got to the point where I just was like always trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel and mm-hmm. not really yeah. like finding the joy in the journey yeah, because I was waiting for things to change or waiting yeah. for things to get better, or be different. That's a very good, very good distinction. I hadn't thought about it quite in the way you're saying it, but yes, I think, you know, I see this with my clients a lot. And this is a concept of, of Dr. Schnarch's, which is that people don't have a choice about whether or not they're anxious or uncomfortable, if you're alive and breathing, you're going to be inter- having discomfort. Right. But the question is whether or not that is productive discomfort or unproductive discomfort. Mm, yes. And when we are sort of like, I'm suffering, I have no choices, I have to be here, and we're kind of in a victim suffering, we're looking for a light at the end of the tunnel, more like as a way of not dealing with the present and not stepping towards more productive anxiety. When you give purpose to your struggle, struggle, when it's about creating something or living up to something in yourself, it still may be hard, but it's hard in a much d- different way and in a way that doesn't create more entrapment. Mm-hmm. So this idea, like I think if you're raising teenagers, it's a helpful thing to say, this is hard right now. <laughs> yes. I'm doing hard things for them to become, to kind of get through this developmental process, become functional adults. So I'm setting limits or holding expectations, tolerating a lot of invalidation, knowing that this is creating what I ultimately want to create is a child who's capable of handling, holding their own weight in the world, but it's hard right now. So, but it's meaningful stress. It's like a productive anxiety and it's, in, in the same way of investing in creating something. 
or at least living up to your own expectations of yourself, whether or not it goes the way that you hope. Right. And it's so hard to be patient with that because I'm dealing, you know, yeah, yeah, we deal with special needs, but I'm dealing with teenagers. And even though I've raised several teenagers already and I see that when you're yep. in it for the first time, it's really a challenge to be patient with yourself and with them as oh, yeah. you move through that. Cause you really don't yep. feel when people, the older people would say, Oh, you'll miss these diaper stages. You'll miss this some yeah. point in life. Oh, and no. you're like, I'm never getting out of this. I'm gonna change diapers the rest <laughs> yeah. of my life. But <laughs> when true. you're older and you still have the younger kids, you're like, Oh, I am going to get out of it. But you know, there's a space and time where we almost just have to feel that mm-hmm. so that we can yeah. have compassion for other people because it's a stage of life. We're all going to feel it you know? Yeah. And then you learn that patience with yourself and saying, okay, you're right. I'm not going to have this five-year-old forever. I'm not going to do enemas forever. I'm not going to do, I probably will change diapers forever, but (laughs) I've accepted it. So I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that's right. And, and, you know, so much of learning how to parent, learning, you know, I, as a as a therapist and, and coach, I hear a lot of people's regrets. Like, I wish so much I could go back in time. I wish so much I had known as a younger person what my child would need. And it's really easy to be hard on ourselves around what we didn't know, what our limitations were, the the kind of meanings that were shaping our choices, and just kind of be cruel in a sense to ourselves. Like, I somehow should have known, rather than. So much of life is you learn on the job, you learn as you're doing it, you take the gifts you were fortunate enough to get from your family of origin or your own, you know, natural tendencies. But then the rest is about learning on the job. And, you know, we'd all do much better if we could all just go back another 25 years and have another go at it. You know? uh, yeah, no, <laughs> but it's true. You know, but it, none of us has that choice. And so, so yeah, it's it's having compassion and mercy towards yourself as well. Yeah. You just spoke to kind of what would maybe lead us into my next um, speaking point, but you talked about the invalidation that comes with, you know, raising these kids, any kids, really, there's not, there's really not a great level of validation in raising children, but then you take that into maybe a marriage or a relationship um, and add the layer of special needs kids where the attention becomes so hyper-focused on them and their needs that the time and ability for nurturing a marriage or a relationship takes a back seat. And maybe that's necessary for a time. But then a lot of times, and what happened in my marriage is when there did become some opportunity for re-engagement it was not desired. There was no desire left there. And Mm -hmm. that was why your work was so important to me was that I had to learn how to belong to myself for the first time in my life Mm -hmm. before I could put myself back into belonging to my marriage and recultivating that relationship. And, you know, so I think that it's important for us to hear your wealth of knowledge on how to keep that spark or recreate a connection in marriage when you, you're navigating these very unique circumstances of raising children with unique yeah. challenges. Yeah, so absolutely. And, and women's desire, and I think it's probably true for men too, but, you know, is so connected to belonging to your sense of self. Like we want to belong to our sense of self more than we want to be sexual. Yes. And so if the way you are relating to your life is about loss of self, 
well, it's very easy to relate to a partnership like this is in the sexual relationship. This is a place to lose myself for his benefit. Mm -hmm. So it's just one more person to take care of at the end of the day. And if you know how many special needs, you know, you have his special needs now. Around yes, yes. <laughs> it's just like, no, you know, like yeah. I, I need to belong to myself for one. Yeah. And so if you don't have that sense that you are a part of your life and a part of your marriage, because a lot of women learn to relate to the expectations of others in the way that they relate to young children's expectations. Like I need to just produce it. I need to just give it. Yeah. I have one question just before we sure. move further. Belong to yourself. Can you define that? Because sure. I think sure. people, especially me too, you know, we talk about self-care, yep. we talk about these things. Define belonging to yourself. Yeah, yeah. I use I say it in a little different way than some people do. Like just to take it to this context, it was a way I don't know if I have a succinct definition, but I'll try here. I mean, how it do you tell a, a man I'm belonging re- to myself? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I need to <laughs> belong to myself I'm going to belong to myself first, first, and then I'll come and figure things out you with know. you. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. And this is not so much something you negotiate with your partner. It's something you negotiate with yourself. So right. let me see if I can explain it. Like, for me, in the throes of the intensity of young parenting of a special needs child and a newborn second child and my husband traveling me belonging to myself was starting to advocate for I'm in over my head. It's a way of like, I matter in this equation. My needs matter too. My children do my husband, but I do too. And I'm, and I matter quite a bit because I'm, I'm the major caregiving source. So me being okay, is a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's a way of belonging to yourself. You're taking responsibility for how am I going to pull this off? Because this is a big ask. And what do I need to do it? It was also not letting myself go into a victim position because that's a way of saying everybody else outside of me controls me and controls these choices and me saying, no, I am a chooser in this. These are hard choices. There's nothing easy about it, but what do I choose? So this is a way of asserting self into these relationships. So maybe the right way to say it is that you are, you're not, self-denying in a way that's obliterating your mattering, obliterating your sense of who you are. You're taking responsibility for who you are in these dynamics in a way that you can back up with your integrity. Yes. It's just viewing that versus being selfish. Right. Because I just look and when somebody's used to watching you be self-sacrificing, being the common denominator in all the relationships, it turns into, well, you're just being selfish now. And it's like. Exactly. And I talk about this in my Art of Desire course, which is a self-development course for women, that a lot of times when we're in the wrong meaning frame, which a lot of us have inherited, you're either selfish or selfless. And these are lose-lose framing, meaning there's no way to win in that. Either I obliterate myself and everybody thinks I'm a good person or I take care of myself and everybody thinks I'm a bad person. And that framing is unsustainable. It will always lead to low intimacy marriages, low joy, low set, because it's not the right picture. It's like, what's my responsibility to myself and what's my responsibility to others? I have both responsibilities and I can't negate my responsibility to myself if I'm even going to fulfill my responsibilities to, other, to others. Yes. I mean, you know, one thing I found at a certain point, it became right for me to open my practice. And I, 
we had made it so that when we bought our house, there was a way that I could have an office off of the house. And so one thing I worried about was I'm now stepping away from my kids a few hours of the week. And are they now suffering? Is it like a, 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 like a zero sum game thing? Like that every hour away I am those, those hours they suffer. And it became pretty quickly apparent that it was win-win because I would step away. I would belong to another part of my life. I was developing something that mattered. And then I come back in and I would enjoy them more and I would value them more and I would feel better about myself. And they got the benefit of that renewed energy and a clearer sense of my choices in my life. So somebody may call it selfish, I suppose. I'm sure I actually know there were people that thought I shouldn't be working or whatever. But, uh, but it's for me about what, what am I creating through these choices? There was another time in all that where I was offered a job that <clears throat> had status in it. It was hard to say no to that job. But it, and I know to some people it looked like I was doing the obedient thing or doing what a good woman does, but that's not what was driving it. What was driving it is I want to choose this higher sacrifice um, path because it's what I ultimately want. And that's also belonging to yourself. So even though I was giving up some things that would have looked good and felt easier even, this was the path I genuinely wanted because I wanted to be the mother my kids needed and especially my special needs child. And that helped me to keep remembering my choice because it was a way to belong to myself, even in the intensity of not exercising not showering, mm-hmm. <laughs> wearing the same ugly clothes every day because there was no money. And <laughs> I could still feel some sense of I'm at least living the life I want to live, even though this is very hard. Yes. Mm. Thank yes. you. Yeah. So let's just come back to any counselor advice that you might have for couples dealing with these special needs kids. How do they stay connected? How, you know, what, what advice do well, you have for couples yeah. in that situation? First of all, again, it's really not easy and I don't want to give simple-minded responses in it because there can be pretty intensive periods Mm -hmm. where it's all hands on deck and romance is the furthest thing from anyone's mind, right? Yes. Um, I think the most important thing, is there a way for our couplehood, is there a way for me to be in relationship to myself and my partner that is rejuvenating? That's the question. Okay, that's and a, that's a not great another, question. <laughs> yeah, not another way to feel taken from or resentful. Yes. And whatever that is, we should be doing it. Yes. <laughs> because we need to rejuvenate each other. And I think, again, it has a lot to do with, it, it, you can't feel rejuvenated if you feel like your spouse wants you to accommodate them, manage them take care of them at the end of the day, you're not going to feel rejuvenated. You're going to actually feel more resentful, more depleted and worse off the next morning. Yeah. And so you have to think about how do we create something that is about the two of us dignifying. And in some ways, like the reason why we as parents should go out on a date is we freaking deserve it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right? <laughs> We're busting our butts all the time for these kids and we owe it to them and ourselves to go have some time when we're not being parents. We can just be adults. We can be a man and a woman and we can create some pleasure and some joy because we need it. There's virtue in pleasure. Pleasure gives you joy. Pleasure sustains you. Pleasure allows you to endure the difficulty. 
So, mm. you know, if it's pleasure for someone else, that's the wrong picture. Part of belonging to yourself and being able to really belong in a partnership is that I can thrive in that partnership. I can feel that there's a space for me and who I am. And so then, then it becomes a resource, even in the thick of crazy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Love it. And I just think one other thing is that resentment is like often the festering joy depleter that if there's resentment that you, push yourself to address those directly. I don't think you're helping enough. I think that I might be being a victim, but it feels like you're not coming in with the same energy. That those kinds of things are not because I'm here to beat up on you, but because I want a marriage that's a resource for two of us. That's why I'm speaking up. We're two adults with a tough situation. How do we handle who we are as a couple to have a strong unit to deal with the intensity of what we're in. Yes, that's so beautiful. Even if you know you can't change or control, you may voice those needs or voice those concerns so that you don't have those yeah. resentments. That's Maybe right. they're not going to change because of the, the person that you're dealing with or their mindset or their paradigms, whatever. Yeah. Still voicing it is the right thing to do. Yeah, because it's, it's emblematic of taking... You know, I was just talking to a couple this morning. They don't have a special needs child, but there was all, often this, he would sort of dominate and be entitled and she would resent and sort of submit to his entitlement. And she would feel like, well, I can't be bad and speak up and, and create a ruckus. And so she would just resent. And then it would derive more resentment in him because he could feel that she wasn't an enthusiastic partner in life or sexually. And she would be like, well, what do you expect? But she would just stay silent. And, you know, then she kind of went into the other direction, which is stay away from me. I, I like the resentment bubbled up and it kind of went into a kind of just pure rejection. But where she is now is how do I kind of just stay what's honest, be true to myself? Like, I want a good sexual relationship is like what she's saying now. When you act like that, there's no chance of a good sexual relationship. So she's more directly speaking to, this isn't about me not wanting something good in my life. This is that what you're offering isn't good. Mm. And so, mm -hmm. and, and she's not trying to humiliate him. She's trying to solve something. Right. That be, and that's a way of belonging to herself and him. I want a good thing. This is what would need to be addressed for us to have a good thing. Mm, yeah. And that takes strength and courage. Uh, mm -hmm. Lots of courage. Yeah, because a lot yeah. of what we teach, not just in relationships, but in life circumstances is that make requests for things that are going to make your life better and help you Absolutely. show up for yourself. That's However, exactly. if you attach any kind of expectation to that, you're going to end up with the resentments and the frustration and the negative energy that mm -hmm. is going to mm -hmm. deteriorate your ability to continue mm -hmm. to show up in love and compassion. So mm -hmm. I love that you're yeah, saying it comes back to that, that same challenging reality, which is you only get to control who you are, mm -hmm. not who others are, but that's hard enough. Right. Yes. <laughs> I think because we think, well, he won't change. Therefore I am justified in not saying it. That's like a way we use that as a loophole to not take deeper responsibility for ourselves. So yes, we can't control our partner loving us or, choosing us or bringing their best. But a lot of times what I see is that that gives people license to not bring their best rather than stepping up more courageously and saying, 
I'm hurting over here. And that is a way of belonging to yourself. Not because you have to love me, but I see that you, that you and I have participated in the idea that I should carry more disproportionate amount of this, for example. And I have agreed to that, but I've agreed to it resentfully and I need to challenge that. So that, that takes more courage that you're really taking deeper responsibility for what you're creating in your life, even in the name of selflessness or sacrifice, that sometimes you're creating things that are about compromising yourself and facilitating your resentment, not just what your spouse does, but what you're doing to yourself. Yeah. So the other thing that we, and we can kind of end on this note, is are there thoughts that you kind of have played on repeat in your life that have helped you show up successfully. And just, I just recently heard a podcast where you decided the kind of person you wanted to be. And then I don't know if you read it every day or looked at this picture you had created of who you wanted Mm -hmm. to become, but we like to Mm -hmm. offer these parents or caregivers that are so stuck and just need a thought mm-hmm. to kind of help them start changing, making those changes in their brain mm-hmm. to get them on this yeah. path. Um, what, what did you do and what could you sure. offer that would be helpful as far as th- the thoughts? Yeah. In reference to that, when I, this was before I had any kids or was married, but that I, I felt very much sort of like a victim of life, just felt sort of low self-esteem, insecure, kind of quiet. Um, and wasn't a very good student. This was, just coming out of high school. And I, um, I just decided because there were some influences on me that affected this, but I, that I started to create a vision of the kind of woman I wanted to become. What was she like? How did she act? How was she with other people? How was she with herself? And it was, you know, things about, you know, that I was comfortable in my own skin, that I treated myself with respect, that I was a hard worker, that I was a good student, but also how I related to other people, that I was kind to other people, that I had compassion for other people. And so I just uh, drew up a picture that I would then read at least once a day, sometimes twice a day. And I would, you know, imagine being her. And I, and it kind of became like a model as a reference point for me, not just what other people thought of me or what people thought I was capable of or not. It was more that I had a responsibility to myself. This is another version of belonging to yourself. I had a responsibility to myself to live up to being her because she was an expression of my higher self. And so that's just been a very important reference point. And, and the way that I think that I think about that now, or one of the ways is sometimes if I'm in a stressful situation in which I I'm upset with how my kids are behaving or how my husband's behaving or something like that. That's just throwing me off. And I feel the pull to kind of get indulgent or go into a justified victim or be aggressive in some way. Especially if I feel like I'm anything shy of my actual age, it's a good sign that I'm regressing, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, and so the thing I also know I say to myself is how do I need to handle myself in this moment? to be a woman I respect. Oh, I so it's that, that self-reference. Yeah. I can't control all these factors. I can't control all these realities. But who do I need to be that at least I respect myself at the end of this? Mm. Yeah, that's perfect. That's a beautiful way to end. Um, we just are so, so grateful for your counsel. I just have to say, in case you haven't picked up on it so far, that um, 
legit, you changed my life, the trajectory of my life. Mm -hmm. I had filed for divorce. I Mm -hmm. was so lost and struggling and, um, my marriage is so much better. It's thriving again. I am happier than I've ever been as a person, you know, knowing for the first time how to belong to myself and who I want to be in the world and doing meaningful work. And um, for our audience, I can promise you, if you will visit um, finlayson-5.com, that's uh, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's website, and all of her amazing courses that you can participate in are there. She also has podcasts that you can listen to that I play on my in my ear on repeat, <laughs> and um, and she also does has a Facebook group that I really enjoy. Um, Ask a LDS sex Ask- therapist. Right. Yeah, ask an LDS marriage and sexuality therapist. It's a mouthful. Right. It is. But <laughs> you get a shorter name. <laughs> yeah. Like it it actually is a great resource for um a lot of the good that you are doing and continuing to put into the world. So thank you so much for stepping up and, and becoming the woman that you are. Um so before we end, we actually end every episode. Um First, by reminding you of our mantra, which is the happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. And mm. we, we like to try and laugh a little bit for sure at the end of every episode. So we, we do a mm. would you rather, which Alicia has for us, and we'll make sure we include you, uh, Jennifer, yeah, and what good. your answer would be. <laughs> All right, Jennifer, would you rather live in a bubble or in a tree until you die? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Bubble or in a tree? Can you define the bubble? Like literally, like a bubble? Is like there the anybody bubble that gets to be in there? Yeah, I know. Ooh, that's a that is a tough one. I know. Ooh. I would say a tree because then at least my spouse could join me there. Oh, I mean, there you might go. Not enjoy the branch, but the bubble sounds a little isolating. Isolating. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I know. I think of our special needs moms, though, and families, and I think sometimes you just want to be. Oh, in yeah, bubble. they're like bubble. Oh, yeah, yeah. give I'm me sure the bubble, right? I'm like a bubble. 100%. Well, and you probably even at a different time in your life would have chosen bubble, you know? Yeah. Oh, exactly. So, absolutely. But yeah. yeah, I think I same. I mean, right now I'm choosing tree, but there were so many years that I would have picked bubble. Oh, There's mm-hmm. no question. No question. Hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm going to pick yeah. tree too, just because I have come through that period of thinking that isolation was the best option and especially coming out of COVID, right? Like we're done with isolation. We're like, let's get involved again with other people. So anyways, that's a good one. Thank you so much. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. Um, Thank you again, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife for joining us. We hope you all have a great week. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, Check out the links in the show notes below to find her website, online courses she offers, information on upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.